The Behemoth Brewing Company presents the Department of Conversation with Pat Brittenden. Behemoth, give me something hoppy. Oh, kia ora koutou Welcome back to another edition of the Department of Conversation with me, Pat Britton, and thanks to Behemoth Brewery for sponsoring us, uh, Behemoth Brewery. You can check them out at behemothbrewing.co.nz. And remember, if you are in Auckland and I guess you're heading towards an unlockdown at some stage, Churleys, C-H-U-R-L-Y-S.co.nz is the home of Behemoth Brewing. It's actually where they brew their brewing brews and beers and brews. And you can go along there and check them out and have a meal and all that kind of stuff as well. Um... Gosh, we are in interesting times, aren't we? I uh, am looking around the country and the world and thinking health and healthcare is a big part of a lot of people's everyday conversations at the moment. Uh, There is a um, a former comedian and a TV and radio actor and a recent conqueror uh, and documentor of cancer uh, called David Downs. David Downs is our special guest for today, having a chat about his soon-to-be-released New Zealand International Film Festival documentary, A Mild Touch of Cancer. David's story is amazing, and it's everything that I want to hear and know. Uh, well, I mean, apart from him and his story personally, but purely about the the medical world and what's happening in the medical world, um, because he basically was given less than a year to live three years ago, give or take, and he went through some outstanding, innovative, new, experimental, maybe it wasn't experimental, maybe it was only felt experimental because it wasn't available in New Zealand, uh, medical procedures that sort of got rid of his cancer in, I think, three weeks after perhaps two, this is part of the podcast, so you'll hear this conversation, after two years of him being attacked by cancer a year without knowing and a year of chemo, uh, he ended up going to America, getting this treatment, and the cancer was gone, I think he said, after three weeks. No sign of it. That doesn't mean it was gone. I think they have to wait an amount of time before they use the C word, as they call it, cured. But I, I think that's accurate, what I've just said. Can you believe that? It's like magic. It's all explained in the in the podcast you're about to hear. Um, so, I mean, I guess why stuff around, let us get into it. This is David Downs. Uh, he is a cancer survivor and, I guess, a proponent of what is uh, called CAR T-cell therapy, which is what saved him. I hope you enjoy David Downs. Hello, team. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Department of Conversation. And we're very, very excited, honoured, privileged, any other words we can put in there, meaning happy to see Mr. David Downs. David, thanks for joining us. Kia ora, nice to see you. I see that uh, it's been a while since they took that photo from the intro there. Beard's yes, well. yes. No, I, I keep getting told by um, the person who designed it that we better do a we better new, do a new image at some stage, or I better shave my beard off. I haven't really or Photoshop. Been... Surely that's what Photoshop's for. I am. I'm just learning. I'm just learning Photoshop at the moment. Actually, it's uh, it's funny what lockdown has done to people's skill set. Um, I've got two people in my life who are designers. Uh, one of them I worked with who kind of did a bunch of the technical side setting this up, Jason. People who know the podcast will know the name Jason. He was basically my technical producer for a long time. And then he was also responsible for all the imagery and that. And my partner is a, a designer as well. And she kind of developed the, a bunch of the uh, the look, like the logo you saw at the start. And then we Very tweaked cool. it and made it exactly how we wanted to do. But since lockdown started, I've started to have to learn to do these things for myself. Wow. Um, so I'm, I'm, 
I, I would say I'm getting fairly proficient with Photoshop right now. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I know how, I know what layers are. <laughs> you know your way around Photoshop. Not a, not a scissors, but you definitely know. No, good. maybe. Mate, well, this is uh, episode number 199. So you missed out oh, on the on I'll come back next week. Yeah, come back next week. Well, actually, um, you are, uh, we're, we're talking to you because of the New Zealand International Film Festival. And I think on Friday, I don't know if we'll upload it on Friday, but on Friday, we're talking to the guys from There Is No Iron Threesome, and they'll be episode 200. Good on them. Well, that's cool. That sounds much more cool than me. That's fine. I know. It's a, it's a very good title. Mind you, yours yeah. is a very good title as well. Let's say why you're here. Actually, I was confused for a second while you're here because you are a, uh, you have a lot of uh, caps that you wear or have worn. Literally, Obviously, right? yes. Actually, I'm the same. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight over there. But I yeah. don't have this. This, this camera is not plugged in at the moment, so I can't show you. Um, yeah. And you do a lot of like public speaking and stuff. And I think on your Karen Hay, is it Karen Hay Management? Okay. Uh, Karen, you're right. Um, they Karen Hay, the, uh, the muso from the broad, broadcaster, from radio broadcaster. Yes. Uh, they reference you as ex comedian, and I was thinking that's an that's an interesting, yeah. an interesting mantle to have because I thought sort of once a comedian, always a comedian. But uh, uh, kind of a valve in case I'm not very good. <laughs> they call you ex-comedian they also obviously you've got a couple of books out there's an yeah. actor there's a presenter uh you're listed as a businessman an entrepreneur a ceo of, of various companies and it's like i mean i imagine you're the kind of person that i go oh should we catch up and you look at your calendar and go yeah three weeks from thursday would be, would be good. <laughs> imagine that's the kind of guy you are but the reason we're talking to you today is now you are are you a filmmaker or are you the subject of a film? No, I'm the subject. I would, I'd be terrible at making films. This film was made by an amazing um, woman, Annie Goldson, and, um, and a, her friend, Irene Chappell. And they approached me about making a film about what's a, a period of my life that we're probably going to talk about. And, um, and I, see, I thought, oh, I'm not sure I want to, but, you know, because um, it was a strange period. But I was pretty overt and out there when I was going through this cancer that I had. So I thought, why not? And um, it's in the film festival, which is cool. Yeah, and uh, for people who are listening, you're not going to get to see this, but I'm actually playing. This is the uh, trailer for it, which I'm just playing in, in in silence beside us. If people are watching, you get to see uh, you speaking to a crowd and kind of telling your story. One of the things I was interested about your story is you you don't need to dig very deep to already find it on the internet. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, you obviously, as, as it's showing, just as we were talking there, it was showing you wrote about it on stuff. And yeah. I imagine that that catalog is still there on stuff if people wanted to go read it. You've done yeah. lots of talks about it, including a TEDx in Auckland talk about it. So I was thinking as I was watching the documentary, well, before I started watching the documentary, which I understand you haven't seen yet, but I have. So that's one nil to me. I've seen this um, promo, but I haven't seen much more than that, apart from whether they asked me to check the names on the graphics. That was about it. Yeah. But you're one. I was going to go, how is this going to play out? What are they going to tell us in this documentary? Because obviously on a surface level, I already know your story because I've watched your TED talk and wow. I've read lots of your stuff on that. And I and was it ever a part of the conversation when you were starting this up going, well, my story is already out there. How are we going to make a film about it? It was a bit like that. I mean, I was pretty out there when I was, when I was sick, I was writing these columns and I was pretty open with everything that was going on in my life. All the things that you did and didn't want to know about yep. the effects of chemotherapy on the adult human male. Um, but, but the, what they've done, done with the story, as I understand it, the treatment is more around the, the, um, the actual CAR T-cell therapy that I had and then other patients as well as me. And so it's a little bit of a sort of a using me as a way to look into this, this concept of healthcare and equity of access to healthcare. 
Uh, yeah, so I guess what you're the catalyst to talk about this car T cells uh, therapy. Yeah. I guess even though I've just kind of said, well, everyone knows your story. It's not quite what I've said. <laughs> but your story is out there. Maybe can you kind of synopsize it for us in, you know, sixty seconds, just as a point of reference for people who have tuned in. They have no idea what's going on. Yeah, who, who is this turkey? What, exactly. Yeah, what we're talking about. Let's do that. Yeah, yeah, no problem. So the, this, the film was about a period of my life, as I mentioned, where I was, I thought I was a bit sick. I got what I thought was the flu and ignored it for a long time, but finally went to the doctor, you know, reluctantly. My wife booked me an appointment, all the sort of normal stupid male stuff that we do. Um, and then I discovered it wasn't a mild touch of the cancer. It was a pretty major problem with, with uh, wasn't flu, it was cancer. <clears throat> I went into then months and months and months of um, chemotherapy here in New Zealand and just, trying all the different treatment options that were available. And during that period, as you said, I was writing about it. Like literally the first day I got diagnosed, I wrote a column and I sent it off to my mates at staff and said, do you want to publish this? And we ended up publishing one a week, if not more, sometimes more for about a year and a half. And it just followed this journey, which is cool because it's all sort of written in real time. At the end of a year of treatment, I just, they told me that we've run out of options. He hadn't got any more chemo available we think we're done you, you might have to go to hospice um you've got less than a year to live so it was a pretty dramatic time but i ended up through an amazing um set of luck and coincidences and good fortune to find myself in um, boston at a, on a clinical trial for a new type of cancer therapy which i'm sure we'll, well just, talk about. just pa pause there for a second because that's you know they talk about fucking serendipity yeah and i i, I can say that i i'm 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 you know, when I talk to filmmakers or document or, or subjects of films, you kind of don't want to give away the story, but your story is already out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'll, I'll say this, like it's people who have, who don't know your story would learn it in the documentary, but it's out there anyway. Right, yeah, yeah. Some, some massive dude in Pfizer was a fan of New Zealand. He just yeah. happened to be reading your blog. And I think he says in the documentary, it was 2016 or something. And he was a bit bummed about the news in America. <laughs> yeah, he was definitely bummed about the, uh, the political environment there, yes. And so he, by chance, came across your blog, started reading it, wrote to you and went, dude, this is an awesome blog. Yeah. Um, just want to say, you know, if I can ever do anything, you get to the end of, I guess, what would be called traditional medicine in new zealand or the new zealand yeah. system and you, and, you, yeah. and you kind of go ah this is the time to reach out you reached out and this person who had no reason to be connected to you had had no reason to have made contact with you after reading your story who's one of the top guys in yeah. you know the medical world when it comes to i guess um you know drug companies and stuff and you went um help Help. <laughs> Help. So, so it's even going. a little bit more weird than that. And you're right, we, the movie gives it away pretty quickly in the first few minutes, actually. It's even more weird because he reached out to me um, over LinkedIn, <clears throat> like many, many people did. And we and at that point, I was just like, hey, read your blog, good on you. And it was about a month or two months later. And he sent me this message out of the blue. He said it just occurred to him just to say hello again. And he just reached out and said, hey, I just thought of you. You know, I hope you're doing well. I literally, and this is no word of a lie, I had just received a, a, a call from the hospital here in New Zealand, and and I know it's a hospital because it comes up with number unknown, and you go, oh, oh it's a hospital call. <laughs> I, I picked up the phone. As I picked up the phone, I saw his message, and it was like, hey, Mike, you just thought I'd say hello. And I and I, I, I got the message from the hospital, and then I texted him back immediately and said, right, 
we need help now like we're just on our way to hospital to find out but i know it's going to be bad news so this was just this incredible serendipity as you say um and then to complete the story and you'll see it in the in the in the movie i ended up getting going to boston for treatment to harvard um, medical school with a the teaching hospital there which is massachusetts general hospital and there was a whole story in there about how much that was going to cost and the horror horrific you know um effort around that and a whole lot of my friends helped me and and um went to boston had this treatment which is incredible i'm sure we'll talk about it um and i'm making a very long story short but you said 60 seconds and then i came back to new zealand and the film actually picks up from a lot of that from what happens next which is about how the fact that we wanted to really go god no one should have to go to boston for treatment and spend what in the end was about 350,000 bucks. Um, that's crazy. And I've started, I started getting approached because I was so out there, people were, were calling me and contacting me and saying, we need, can I get some help? And how do I get on one of these trials and stuff like that? And so we were helping, um, I was helping, Mike was often helping. And then, and then this amazing organization in Wellington, the Maligan Institute have set up their own clinical trial. And just in the last year or so, we've actually um, launched a trial here in New Zealand. We had some patients go through it here. And so the film also picks up on the story of three other families um, that we met along the way uh, and tells their story as well. So it's not just about me, although that, you know, they use me as a bit of a lens into the story. Um, yeah. And so, you know, to, to, to cut a long story short, not to give away the ending, but I live. Oh, do you? Spoiler. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was wondering, I'm wondering yeah. if that was the case. Um, yeah. I was going to, one of the things I was unclear about in the documentary maybe i missed it i'm dyslexic and sometimes you know oh, squirrel and and i miss things <laughs> um i i wonder i wondered when you went to boston and they did this thing that i want to talk to you about the uh the car space t-cell yep. therapy yep. um you you they 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 take blood out they go zippity zap and they genetically modify it that's quite a medical term actually are you yep. qualified yeah good. Yep, thank wow. you um and then they put it back in what's the time period that's about three weeks but yeah. what's the time period between the putting it back in and what they put back in is half a teaspoon two and it's a half about, minutes. Yeah. yeah yeah what's the the period between them putting it back in this is what i missed and you kind of going oh i feel a bit better i think i think you were you were up and about sort of thing what's yeah. i wanted to know what that time period is like because it, it it kind of looks like magic and, is, uh, thing. and I kind of think quite, it's not quite like way along than it happens, but it's no. about eight days. It took about eight days. <clears throat> so what happens is, yeah, just to just to correct a couple of minor details. Um, yeah, they they basically remove uh, a component of the immune system. It's called the T cell. So it's basically like giving blood, but they're skimming off one particular type of cell called a T cell. And the T cell is normally there. You go look at that. It's normally the part of the cell that fights infection, and it goes around. It's like the think of it as Pac Man. It's not far off it going around the body constantly looking for bad things and then it sort of sends signals and and the, and the immune system fights so it takes it out they genetically re-engineer that cell they insert a new piece of um, step two there they insert a new piece of dna which reprograms the cell for it to be able to recognize cancer and it recognizes it through the use of that little sucker thing like a, imagine a little um, antenna sticking out of a cell that yeah. just configured in a certain way that matches a bump that's on the outside of a cancer cell um and so that's what they've done. They've reprogrammed the cell to make it um, make this this antenna. Then they replicate in, in the in the lab, <clears throat> and then that that whole process takes about three weeks, as you say, because very kind of technical and complicated zippity zap, as you say. <laughs> when they put it back inside me, so it was just in a little injection, as you say, two and a half mils, tiny little injection. 
Then I basically just waited and I waited about just over a week and then I felt like I got the flu again, which is so cool because my book and my, my thing had been called the mild touch of the flu because that's what I thought when I first got cancer. Right. Well, actually, when I got this treatment, <clears throat> I felt the same way because that's essentially what my body thought. It's the same flu symptom response, which is you get slightly sore under the arms and maybe a little bit sweaty and a little bit tired. And, <clears throat> and then it lasted about three or four days, maybe, of me feeling like I had the flu. And then about a week after that, so about two and a half, three weeks in total from the day it got injected into me, I went back and they did this extra test. And then uh, they did a full body PET scan and a whole lot of blood tests. And at the end said, there's no sign of cancer left, you know. So during that period when I felt like I had the flu, that was because my body's immune system was going into overdrive and just like fighting what it thought was a foreign invader was actually a cancer cells and it was going around and, and zapping them. So just, just say again because I might have just I might have just dyslexic out for a second the, the <laughs> injection the injection going in yeah them saying no signs of cancer is that eight days uh no that was that was about three weeks it took eight days while my body was kind of replicating the cells and growing them till I could start feeling it working then that took about a week and then it was about another week and then they said right we can test you now and you're finished yeah how long were you doing chemo in New Zealand for? About a year. So a and year. A, and even before chemo. then, I'd been, I'd had, I'd probably had cancer. They don't know, but I probably had it for about a year before that as well. Right. So it's probably two years of my body fighting cancer. So two years yeah. of your body fighting cancer, and I guess the yeah. cancer growing, whatever the correct term is. Three weeks of this new form of therapy, yeah. cancer gone. Yeah. And during that three weeks, just to make it even cooler, was was me going to the movies, wandering around the museums of Boston. I went to the Cheers bar. You know, like I was going, I I'm here. I might as well have fun. Um, being a tourist, like sometimes I felt a bit, when I was that period when I was feeling crook, I just sort of stayed in bed for a few days, but it's like the flu yeah. wasn't a big deal. So yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't me in hospital or hooked up to massive machines or anything. It was, it was kind of just a gentle response. And when you went to the Cheers bar, did everybody know your name? No, it's a fallacy. And I knew that immediately because I walked in there and I thought, if everybody knows your name, then I should know everyone else's name immediately. And I didn't. So I thought, ah, oh, my whole life has been a lie. So they didn't go into the you go into the chairs bar and it looks like the same from outside, but inside it's completely different. So right, right. <laughs> um, I have been thinking about uh, you know, the idea of where we're going in medicine for a long time, and for a very specific reason. Yeah. I, I've got, like, from my rugby days, I've got arthritis in my spine. And from my basketball days, I've got thinning um, cartilage on the back of my kneecaps. Mate, you're um, I've, I, yeah, I am a fucking mess. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably the same person. Like, my both my mum and dad had knee replacements. They all played, you know, tennis and squash and softball and all these sorts yeah. of things. Yeah. And I've, I've been holding on to, for the last five years that probably in the future – there won't be knee replacements. There'll be stem cell replacements because yeah. there's examples at the moment of stem cells growing bone and growing cartilage already happening around yep. the world. Yep. Does it feel a bit the same? I mean, I could be wrong with that, but that's my little my little world saying. I don't want to get a knee replacement in 20 years. Um, does it feel a bit the same with cancer? Is this the thing that's going to be in 20 years from now? They're going to be like, what, people died from cancer? Yeah, how old-fashioned. We hope so. We definitely hope so. I mean, in the film, you'll see these interviews with people much more expert than this and me. 
um, but the points they're making is that this is sort of the beginning of something. It's not it's not the answer completely. It's a, yeah. it's an answer for one type of cancer, blood cancer, but it's showing that there's a whole new way of treating cancer. And in the last sort of ten or fifteen years, in research terms, there's been a lot of work going on into the immune system, and it makes perfect sense. Like to us lay people, you go actually the human body is incredible if 99.99999 percent of the stuff that goes wrong our body just fixes it maybe not your cartilage but even then you know it, it has a pretty good go and and yet every now and then it can't and also the other sort of big insight was that if i took a cancer cell out of me and i put it into you and i wouldn't wish this on you what would happen is immediately your body would kill it because it recognizes it as foreign and so those sort of two insights are kind of right. what lead to this this work because they're going well, hang on because what's what's going on like if can if bodies are really good at fighting stuff and cancer cells that are seen by foreign bodies uh, get killed immediately like we know that why isn't the body killing cancer and it's because it sort of hides in plain sight like the immune system just doesn't recognize that cell as cancer and so all they're doing is saying well why don't we tune up the immune instead of fighting the cancer why don't we harness the immune system it's really good at fighting stuff so that's what this treatment does it does nothing to the cancer it mm. purely changes the immune system in a way that actually gets the immune system doing its job, sort of kickstarting it. So yes, in 20 years time, I would I would confidently predict as a, as a lay person that we'll see many, many, many different types of cancer being treated in these types of techniques. Um, we'll know a hell of a lot more about it. Um, even now, I mean, I did this, this treatment I actually did three years ago now. Now they're using the same technique for about a dozen different types of cancer, not just oh, wow. blood cancer. And there are trials going on all over the world with these different techniques. So, yeah, we're at the beginning of a really exciting period. It, it, it is exciting. It's exciting just to think of the idea of kind of reprogramming human yeah. cells. Yeah. I, when yeah. I kind of thought about it, and I'm a bit of a buff-headed guy, but I remember back in the day when you had CRT TVs and you had, um, you know, our, our first came out with plasma TVs. And at some stage, there was a changeover where you couldn't work your CRTs because none of the plugs worked anymore, but you could buy <laughs> you could buy adapters. Yeah. And I thought, this kind of sounds like an adapter for the, the old TV. You kind of, you've got this new thing that won't go into it, but you yeah. put a special little adapter on the end and all of a that's sudden right. it works again. That's and right. that's what I was the kind of thinking about for the, what they're doing to our cells. That's right. In the, in the movie, um, a guy called Charles Graber, who's another author um, who's written all about this type of therapy, it likens it to sort of vacuum cleaner nozzles. You can change the nozzles on the vacuum cleaner, same sort of thing. And it's almost literally what this does. It, it basically just makes the cell have a new type of nozzle. Um, and that nozzle happens to be the same shape and kind of, you know, orientation, et cetera, that will latch onto the right type of cancer cell. Um, what about other areas other than cancer? Is this like yeah. a step into, you know, like I, I'm I'm going through quite a lot of conversations with friends, family, and strangers about the vaccine at the moment and that sort yeah. of thing. Well, and one of the right. reasons I'm quite passionate about that mm -hmm. is my my father caught polio in 1948. So I have a, a lifelong kind of history of seeing what happens when someone gets a virus, an illness, yeah. that yeah. affects them for the rest of their life. My dad's still with us. He's 81. He's still affected by polio. He's got no muscle mass in one of his arms. He literally can't lift it up to his shoulder. And that's what polio did to him. Yeah. So yeah. when I talk to people and they're like, oh, you know, blah, blah, that's fine. It's, it's not going to work. It's this, it's that. I always think, fuck, if we had people in 1948, which is when my dad got it, going, we, had, we didn't have parents going, oh, you know, aluminium. Oh, you know, I, I, this is the government trying, trying to control us. We're going to become yeah. magnetized. They were like, yeah. oh, solution to keep our kids safe. Let's do it. 
Correct. So, yeah. So, so I'm I'm wondering about this and what it, what you also see is like a um a, a bigger sort of medical advance as is it being used in other areas? Are you now someone who's like, holy crap, I can see it here and here and here. I'm passionate about this and this and this now because of your one experience with cancer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely can see the techniques that they're using here. I mean, first of all, you got to appreciate, and a, a friend of mine sent me this beautiful text message the day I got this injection, and, and it said something like, imagine the millions of insights and wisdom and small pieces of knowledge that have come together over probably a century of human um, endeavor to reach this moment where this can happen for you. So it's not like there's a breakthrough. There's like these just tiny, lots and lots of um, incremental movements. And so the techniques and the and the processes and the way that they manufacture cells, the way they keep them cold enough, the way that they now know how to, how to read the gene sequences, all those things come together. And yes, they can be used in other ways. The mRNA vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine that we are using in New Zealand, has some very similar technology technology in it because what it does is it actually um, it inserts a piece of mRNA, so messenger RNA, mm -hmm. um, to to basically fool your cells into creating the um, the, the protein spikes that the coronavirus has, which then allows the T cells to recognise them and learn about them and kill them. So it's got some very similar conceptual things in that it's harnessing the body's immune system in in a slightly different way, sort of semi tricking it into doing a different job. So that I, absolutely, I mean, I've heard of these sorts of techniques being used for you know, spinal injuries and, as you say, things like um, where you've got um, <clears throat> cells in your body that have died over time. Maybe this is a way to kickstart them back into action. Um, brain diseases, things that um, you know that over that are um, where you atrophy over time. So yes, we definitely know stuff um, in a way that we didn't know it for many, many years. And one thing that. I just want to, oh, cause I'm, I bet you're going to ask me, but I want to say it anyway. So some people get quite or well, a little bit worried about the whole gene editing thing. Mm. And it's probably worth just kind of really tackling that up front because this is gene editing, but in a completely different way than, than you think about it. This is not taking frogs' genes and sticking them into corn or whatever. And this isn't in any way transmissible. In fact, the, 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 what they're doing with my T cells, um, the reason I had to keep going back to Boston for two years um, is because they were seeing what happens over time and because they know that those cells will die off eventually all cells in our body do there's no way they can be transmitted to other people or between generations um and that's the kind of you know we have so much more sophistication about understanding the stuff than we did 20 years ago when gene editing became the big boogeyman um so yeah it's it's the techniques the processes everything are amazing i think as well i mean I think we live in a very privileged, not just here in New Zealand, but certainly in the first world, we live in a, a very privileged kind of life where it's a little bit of NIMBY, you know, NIMBYism, yeah, not in my yeah, backyard. Yeah. And, and the example is, I remember, I think I might have still been working in, in Talkback, but there was, a whole, there was a measles outbreak in Waikato. And I remember it very clear that all of a sudden a whole bunch of anti-vaxxers were getting their kids vaccinated. Why? because they had to so they didn't have the luxury or the privilege of going yeah. oh no, no to vaccines when the rubber hit the road they went and got it and i i wonder about the whole gene editing and people saying that's the boogeyman you know if their kid or family member or whatever had the cancer where this would happen are they going to just let them die or are they going to go for it and i think i think i try and think about i i i when i used to work in talkback i used to i used to quite often say to my callers and then what yeah and then what 
you know, yeah. okay, it was ZB, so they're all right-wing lunatics of who I love to bits. But you know, <laughs> so let's get rid of that 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 solo mum from the housing New Zealand house next door to you. But then what? She's next door yeah. to someone else. Yeah. Or she's in a car with her kids. You know, what's the actual for real downstream effects of that? So I I I, I think this these conversations around health at the moment, especially at the moment with kind of vaccine and not that it's vaccine passports is necessarily health, but that sort of conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I go, you know, for these people who are at the, the Brian Tamaki event last weekend or whatever it was, you know, if they had 100 cases of Delta in their road, would they be as free about their freedoms or would they want to be locked away then? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You do get into you get into some really different, different perspectives of different people. The other thing that people, I think it's really important to realise, and I, I think I use this example in the documentary is, how fast this stuff has evolved, how much we now know versus when you and I were younger or kids or whatever. And if you think about, like I was talking to a friend yesterday who's a bit sort of anti, you know, um, this sort of stuff, this treatment, you know, and he and I said to him, have you got, a, have you got an iMac or an iPhone? He went, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so 25 years ago, when this technology was just starting to be developed, there was no mobile phone, you know, well, the mobile phones were pretty rubbish. There yep. was no, you know, internet. There was no, you know, laptops were massive, etc. Imagine the, you know, you can only imagine how much technology has changed in that time to give you this incredible thing called a mobile phone. Um, that same um, progress has been made in health and in science. We now know, you know, a million times more than we did back then, <clears throat> and it's and it's so much more sophisticated than you or I could ever get our head around because you yeah. need to spend ten years understanding it. So, so don't be fearful of it. You know, be be wary and, and educate yourself properly. And it's not even, it's not even, I think about that and I think it's not even what we know, like with our cell phones. I wonder about what fucking Apple and Samsung have got in the back room that we won't see for 10 years. You think about right. that with the medical thing as well. What's yeah. happening in, in labs right now that we'll see in 10 years from now. Yeah, um, It's amazing. I had a friend of mine say once he was, he was doing a, a speech and he said once uh, the world has never moved as fast as it's moving right now That's and right. it will never move this slow again. Exactly. Just think, we're, yeah. we are in a period of exponential growth and we always have been. The problem with exponential growth is it looks like a flat line when you first start. Exponential, you know, doubling or, or going up in some direction. And then all of a sudden you start to realize and perceive change happening really rapidly. That's why humans and humans are terrible at perceiving change. Like we, we look around us, it looks pretty much the same today as it did yesterday. <clears throat> that doesn't mean that progress hasn't happened. It just means you're not seeing it. And then all yeah. of a sudden you go, hang on, the iPhone 54 is out. Oh, oh <laughs> only yesterday I remember um, having a Motorola flip. Well, Motorola flip. <laughs> yeah. um, back, back to the conversation around your, uh, your uh, treatment. I was going to ask one question for clarity as well, because sure. um, just so you can explain maybe what it is. When I heard the conversation around, around these T-cells, the T-cell, cancer therapy about the only other time i ever remember hearing a t-cell is uh people who have hiv aids because yeah. they talk about having a very low t-cell count T-cell count, yeah and what exactly is by itself without all the modifications we're doing to help cancer what is the t-cell and what does it do in our bodies day to day yeah cool so the, the they're a type of um lymphocyte if you want to be technical and so basically what we call blood like you and i in our layman's terms would say you've got blood and when we we're at school, we learned you've got white blood and red blood. Well, yep. actually, that's a vast simplification of, of the complexity of our of our blood. You know, we have right. in the human blood, you know, 30 to 50, I don't know how many different types of cells. Some they have different jobs. Some of them are carrying oxygen to, you know, fuel the body. Some of them are, you know, part of part of this um, you know, immune system. 
and even in the immune system there's there's loads of different types they all do different things so a t-cell is a type of cell that's created and it's called t because it's created in the tal thalamus which is down here somewhere doctor will probably tell me off but it's somewhere around here there's a little tiny gland called the thalamus and for some reason that generates some cells and it's part of a, of a kind of a an almost a a, a team of um, different cells which which collectively fight infection. So there's also B cells. And in fact, my cancer was a cancer of the B cells. So the B cells were the ones that had gone wonky in my body. The T cells could be used to fix the wonky um, B cells. So so they basically are going around your blood, constantly being generated and going around your body. And the T cells kind of looking for things that aren't right, things that doesn't recognize um you know protein sticking up out of cells that it goes oh that doesn't look like the sort of thing that we should expect to see and the t-cell kind of hones in on it and it sends messages through chemicals to other cells and they come around and they kind of kill it and it's so it's yeah I'm, I, as i'm simplifying it but what you should know is that the we now know so much more about how that sort of stuff operates than we used to and it's it's a quite an elegant symphony of of cells doing jobs and coming and going and stuff and so what we, all we've done is just for one of those cells, we've tweaked it a little bit to give it a bit of extra help. It's like showing it what the what the cancer cell looks like. I love it how you say I've simplified it a bit. And I'm thinking, hang on, what you're describing to me sounds like they're the security guards in my body. I think I know. I'll yeah, yeah, that's it. Exactly. I, I, there you I, go. I, I call them like the thousand fold. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. They are the security guard. And they're going and they're, they're going up to this foreign body and say, look, not not in those shoes. You can't come inside in those shoes. Sorry. That's right. You'll have, you'll have to go okay, elsewhere. Yeah, I, saw, I, I saw it. And, then it. and then the other thing is the other part of the metaphor is the security guards some can call for help. So they can go, right, we need we, we've got a bad one here. And you, <laughs> you, you, they can call in the other cells to come and kind of help them do the cleanup, which is pretty cool. So yes, the body's quite incredible the way it does this sort of thing. And when you think about the going back to the virus and the sort of um, vaccine. What it's doing is essentially a shortcut of teaching the same. It does the same job. It's teaching the immune system what the coronavirus looks like so that next time a, a single coronavirus comes in, the body goes, oh, I've seen that before. I know what to do. Instead of waiting till these millions and millions and millions of them and then going, oh, okay, ooh, too late. We missed it. Hey, check this out. This I didn't. I, I just I just went and found this now because I just by chance saw this yesterday. I'll show it to you to to, to for people to understand what it's like for your body to respond. This is yeah. white. This is white blood cells. Uh, attacking a par a parasite. Wow! Yeah, yeah. Check this out. This is actually what is happening. I'm not playing the audio, so we don't get it taken down. But this is this is your your blood, your body, your I guess your various T cells attacking what you, exactly what you're talking about, identifying right. and attacking something. There's a beautiful um, image of this exactly what I've had this the cancer T cell, and you did, what you see is on the screen is a, it's just a cell going through. It's on a petri dish, and that's a cancer cell, and then. It, it's sort of a, a T cell wanders past and sort of almost like it's almost like noticing it. It's, you can see it going, oh, what's that? Hang on. And it sort of goes around the outside of it, inspecting it. And then when it realizes it's not right, another one or two come along and then they just send a little signal and you see this thing just go flash because it's it basically explodes the nucleus. It's so what that is, is the, that's the security guard walking around that one thing going, can I see that's a lanyard on that person? Okay, I can't see a lanyard. Okay, I need some help over here. There's someone in here without a lanyard. And then the other two security guards turn up and they fuck them up, basically. That's right. That's right. You should definitely go into medicine. You've really <laughs> got this sort of... <laughs> um, a big part of the documentary, uh, and I guess it's the thing that catches a lot of people that you talk about in your TED Talk as well, is the cost. Yeah. Um, because you... you uh, let's, let's not talk about... Because uh, you have some quite entertaining ways of explaining the story. Let's leave that for the movie, right? But... 
let's talk about the cost of medical procedures. Yeah. Do you have any perspective or opinion now? Uh, so I, I love talking to Americans about America. Yeah. And I love talking to Americans. I'm a, I, I do another product called Elephant TV, which is a series of debates. And I want to do one called uh, America is the greatest country in the world. And then have a pro and a con. Yeah, because cool. always yeah. when I have American like commentators on my podcast, I ask them, is America the greatest country in the world? And they say, yes. And I say, what's your metric what? for that? What do you think I'd like what? To, what do you yeah, I'd like to understand what's your metric. And often we come back to conversations around healthcare because of our differences. Wow. And they say, we've got the greatest healthcare in the world. And I always say, yes, if you can afford it. You know, wow. which I think is a fair response to, I mean, look what's happened with you. It's a world-class, you know, innovative yeah. thing out of America, greatest system in the world, supposedly, but it's if you can afford it. Do yeah. you have a perspective now on uh, like American healthcare and the cost? And what does it make you think about how we do things here when, yes, there are sometimes waiting queues. Yes, there are sometimes, I, I don't know if there's still, but there has been stories about, you know, there's no room for that person to get the cancer treatment, so they have to go to Sydney. In fact, I think yeah. that was in one of the document in the documentary of one of the guys yeah, yeah. going yeah. off to Melbourne. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I'd just be interested in your, you've, you've been in both systems. You've yeah. been a, a sufferer of a incredibly large bill which we're yep. not going to talk about because that's actually an interesting part of the documentary. Yep. Yeah, the floor is yours. No, cool. I mean, it's you're, you've, you've hit on a really important theme from the film um, and, and a, you know, a, a key learning thing. And, and I guess the first thing you've got to caution yourself always against when you come up with a topic like this is there is no good answer. There is no yes. right. There is no wrong. There are no evil people and good people. This is one of those gnarly human problems of it, the shades of grey that if, or every, everywhere you look at it, it's difficult. In the New Zealand health system, and I and I spent a good year and a half being a beneficiary of that, um, there's some incredible things to love and some things that don't work well. Uh, you know, what you love is that it's free, you know, it's socialised medicine, great um, quality doctors, great quality nurses, good medical interventions. But yeah, you do it sometimes in an environment where the hospital is not quite as nice as it could be. Um, they don't have access to all of the drugs they'd like to because we can't afford everything. It's not an infinite pot of money. Then you go to America and it's sort of the opposite side of the problem where you pay for every single thing. Like literally, mm -hmm. um, I was given a Panadol, you know, here's a Panadol, um, $6 each, you know. Whoa. Um, and, you know, so you pay for everything. And so therefore it makes it that much, much more um, unaffordable and difficult to get to. But because you've got this money washing around the system, you get incredible innovation and breakthrough and science that wouldn't happen uh, if we all had systems like New Zealand. So there's no perfect answer here. Um, what I do know is having spent time in both systems is that the quality of the actual medical advice, the doctors, et cetera, was just as good on both sides. <clears throat> and that was really quite um, uh, delightful and enlightening. In fact, I came back to New Zealand and I told my New Zealand doctor that my the American doctor had been through all of her notes and all of her procedures over the months and months that she'd been treating me. And he said, at every single point in your treatment, that she made the same decisions I would have made. And I, I told her that and she's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but we, we did it without being able to go that extra few steps, which is the access to the innovation and the kind yeah. of breakthrough science that, that they have access to because of that. So there's no simple answer. Um, the, it would be great if you could have both, but that's just the world, you know, it doesn't work that way. And pharmaceutical companies have got to make money, you know, like um, I don't, buy into that big bad pharma thing. Um, if, if pharmaceutical company didn't make money, they wouldn't be around and there wouldn't be any new medication. So like, 
um, you know, I think it's a it's a gnarly, intractable problem that it, there's no solution. It's a, I was I was going to make a joke. They're saying it's a lovely fence. That I won't say that because that's completely valid, <laughs> completely valid what you're saying. And and I I actually I tend to agree with you about the overall issue. I mean, I don't I don't I'm not the kind of person who uh, you know thinks businesses shouldn't make money. And as yeah. you're saying, it sounds like I mean I'm sorry that I'm using another analogy, but it seems to be what I do. It's like it's like two first fifteen rugby teams that have equal talent, but one is far better resourced. Yeah, you know, with training techniques and methods, and and so then they end up being better in the in the big game because they've had the resource driven into them that's given them uh, like an yeah. one step up. Well, the other thing I'd say though, just just to counter your friend's argument against you, is that actually if you step back and look at the um, the total population outcomes for both a country like New Zealand and a country like the US, the US may spend a hell and does spend a hell of a lot more on healthcare than we do. For no better outcome whatsoever. Yeah. In fact, worse worse outcome. Outcome. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, that whole thing, and I don't, I don't sort of argue against Americans because they're amazing people, and I love them. And in fact, I learned so much about they're very, very different than you know than the cliche perspective that you sometimes have. But, um, but yeah, just blanketly saying we've got the greatest health system because we spend the most money is actually a completely false thing. <laughs> Well, because yeah. they, it's because it doesn't. You know, I don't know what the exact percentage is, but the but the bottom thirty percent see none of that money, so that's True. where they get their bad outcome. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm not saying Michael Moore is the uh, most trustable documentary maker in the world, but you know when he took when he showed individual stories, which is anecdotal, about a guy having to keep one of his two fingers because he couldn't afford the operation for both fingers, so he chose to keep the finger which had his wedding ring on it because he's an old yeah. romantic. Um, I like because I, I also think when I mean, my mum passed away three years ago from motor neuron disease. And, you know, I've, said, I've told the story before. She had, a, I forget which country it was, but she had a bed from Germany or a wheelchair from Germany, Germany yeah. and, a, and a wheelchair from Japan or a bed from Japan, whichever one it is. She yeah. had this, and, and, you know, she got the best care, nothing happened to her. And those kind of emergency moments where you have to get medical attention now, New Zealand does very well. It seems where, if there is a failing and, you know, I'll, I'll say that, that nothing, no system's perfect. It's in that long-term looking after something, finding innovation, that's where we fall down. And the people who, f who fall outside the norm. Yeah, and that's just, again, it's a consequence. It's not, it's just the way it is. Like when you when you choose to take a free healthcare model, there will always be cases that can't fit in because they're just expensive. And I, so I get it. It doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make it right necessarily. It just makes it a, a bit more understandable. Um, and you know, in the in the film, in the documentary, you'll see um, a couple of patients there that that had to go overseas, like me, for treatment and and different outcomes um, in some cases. And and it's, again, it's just a sort of an un, unfortunate consequence of the way that there is not an infinite pot of money and an infinite sort of set of resources available. Have uh, two questions, both based around government, especially in New Zealand. Cool. When you got, and we can say the big bill, we'll, we'll leave the details to the documentary, yeah, yeah. but when you got the big bill, did you go to the government at any stage? Did you go to the health minister? It probably was um, it was probably was my local boy here in North Eden at that stage. Um, did you go to them at any stage and say, please help? That's question number one. Question number yeah. two is, since going through it, have you had any interaction with the government agencies on the treatment you have had and how much we should get it in New Zealand? Um. Yeah, so the answer to the first question is no, I didn't seek or get any help from the ministry. I did I did ask um, my doctor if she thought it was something we should be bothered with, and she basically said no. Um, and 
and and we were in a very short time frame back then and again don't want to give away too much but i had a, like a week or two weeks to make some calls and decisions about what we're going to do so the path of least resistance was just a what we thought sell our house actually um so so we didn't go down that track and then we also had a health insurance company that we were dealing with and that didn't work out very well either so the answer was no not really the second thing is since then have i yeah there's been some conversations in fact i've sort of talked to people within the ministry well the, the sort of health system of new zealand and the new cancer um authority a little bit not hugely but um there's certainly receptivity to um, discussions and the Maligan Institute who feature in the movie because they're, they're a cancer research institute in Wellington who have now yep. developed this own, their own version of this. They have been you know, incredible here because they, 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 they sit as a private institution, but they have a lot to do with the government system. So they're, they're kind of influencing. Um, and the patients in New Zealand who have uh, been lucky enough to get on the trial here in New Zealand have, have done that for free. Uh, the Maligan Institute do their part of the work for free and then Leukemia and Blood Cancer New Zealand, who's a charity, has paid for all the patient sort of travel costs and stuff like that. So so we are incredible. In fact, you know, um, when I tell my American friends and colleagues that we essentially get it for free, but not from the government or not from an insurance company, they find it, you know, quite remarkable. <laughs> um, but that's just, I guess that's the way it is. Our system here has led us to this. Yeah, I've had conversations with um, uh, some, I, I agree with you about Americans. I love Americans and I love their passion and I love, you know, they're typically a, a fantastically nice people in general. Obviously, yeah. there are some dicks amongst them, but as there are with everybody. Um, but when I explain, like I, I spoke to a couple before the last election who were very conservative. Uh, there were a couple of musicians who wrote the Vote Trump song, actually a couple of, you know, Southern girls who are country Western singers. Yeah, and they yeah. talked about how, how, how they were really upset because their health system let their brother down and he had to get a scan and it cost him ten thousand dollars and da, 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 da. Wow. and they were, they were republicans and i went you should be a bernie voter i mean bernie's the guy who would have who would have given your brother nothing and i explained to them my mother's situation and yeah. they couldn't believe it they couldn't believe that my kids could go down and get asthma uh puffers plural from the chemist for five bucks they're like yeah. you know they, they, yeah. they actually don't they don't get it they don't understand and, um, and because for some reason in the, in that system, the the kind of idea of socialized medicine, as they call it, they you know that's it's been conflated politically to be socialism, which they then see as this huge evil, um, whatever your political thing. So it's basically it's just become politicized, and it's terrible. Luckily in New Zealand, and it, when you've only lived in New Zealand, you find it hard to believe, but we are very apolitical. I mean, we're shades of grey on the other side of a very small fence. You know, it's like mostly we agree on most things that are important, um, but in, that's not necessarily the case in every country. I've got a, I've, this. I I struggle with this question. Just so you know. Oh, good. And I'm looking forward to a struggling for many for many reasons. Well, I, I and I know you've talked about survivor guilt, um, but I for for something completely separate to what we're doing here, and it wasn't for this reason. But I talked to two other. I was in contact with two other comedians this week. Two other high profile comedians. Every New Zealander would know their names, and one of them called you a legend, and the other one called you. I'm just reading his text. Uh, an amazing wow. man. Oh, I saw, sorry, sorry. Different comedian didn't talk to that. My In the video, you know, a lot of, sorry, the documentary, a lot of it is quite, you know, about um, the victories that this medicine can can bring, this new system, the new way of doing things can do. But there are sadnesses and there are, I mean, right here in Dunedin, there mm. are sadnesses where other people don't make it. And I just wondered from you, are you a person who thinks about fate? Are you a person who thinks about 
you know, you hear this all the time. I'm here for a reason. I have a job to do, you yeah. know, do you ever go, I mean, some people would look at it as a, as a, as a religious or a spiritual thing as well. Do you ever think about why you're here, why it worked on you? Do you feel an obligation to this now because of what you went through when for some others, they don't, they don't have the same outcome. So you asked six questions and the answer is yes, yes. Sometimes no, <laughs> maybe yes. No, um, yeah, I mean, it's a great, it's a great point. And we do sort of talk about this in the movie a little bit, or the, the documentary maker asked me these questions, which makes me search my mind. Um, absolutely. I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not a fate guy. I don't believe that there is a preordained fate that we all have. And suddenly um, that's it. You know, you, you, you found your purpose. Um, for the point of view that it's preordained i do i do though think that we as humans are meaning makers you know our part of what we seek to do is to understand and to create meaning out of stuff and so when things fall into place it's it's it feels better so for me going through my cancer you know and <clears throat> getting to the states getting the treatment coming back feeling incredibly lucky knowing meeting many people who had not had that outcome meeting families who have lost loved ones um, has made me, I suppose, create meaning out of that. You know, it's made me think, uh, okay, I've got to find the opportunity. And, I find, and also, I'm very lucky. I said this, I'm an incredibly privileged and lucky person. Um, I was in a position where, um, while we couldn't afford the initial money they told us, we actually managed to find our way to pay the money, and it didn't it didn't bankrupt the family. So, so we're incredibly lucky. And I find myself in a position sometimes where I'm, you know, I can talk to lots of people. I'm quite comfortable. So I feel like it's semi-obligation to be the the person who has a sort of a cheerleader or, or you know holds holds up the possibility of what what the future might bring and it helps me because it helps me create meaning it does mean that i'm constantly meeting people who are part who are very sick or dying or have died or whatever and um and that's tough at times it's very tough but um it also kind of brings even more meaning to it in a funny way um so yeah that's a long-winded way of saying and i say it in the movie i don't feel survivor guilt but i kind of get it i i feel survivor kind of this obligation or the mm -hmm. sense that actually by me doing things that will help other people and it's not just me by the way my wife helps you know she she talks to she talks to other families fairly regularly too about the experience of being the caregiver in this scenario right. so it's almost like become a thing our family does um and that and that helps us and it gives us that sense of a little bit of sense of purpose and a little bit sense of um, closure, I suppose. Is this something now that the 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 work you're doing with, the, especially the CAR T cell and the and the cancer work, is this kind of your seventy percent, eighty percent, ninety percent full time job, like what you spend most of your time on, or is this mm. just a, still a part of a very full life? You have other areas you're working on. Yeah, it's part. I do. My, one of my problems is I'm a complete optimist, as you'll see in the movie, um, and I over, <clears throat> I, I have a big appetite for work and stuff, and I just love things, and I get involved with all sorts of projects. So the cancer work I do and the patient work is probably a day a week, maybe I don't know. Um, but then I've got a full time, not quite full time job. I've got a sort of a part time permanent job, and then I've got three or four other projects that I work on, like I'm on boards and um yeah and i helping a friend who's sick at the moment you know and I, so basically there's always this juggling um 
but I'm at that stage of my life where that that's fine. Like the kids, you know, the my kids are a little bit more grown up. Um, they don't need me quite as much. They still need me, but not quite as much. And I get an enormous sense of joy and and a satisfaction out of these different things that I work on, and they do complement each other pretty well. Um, there was a period there when we were raising money for the Malagan Institute to get the CAR T trial into New Zealand, where it was like a couple two to three days a week. That was much more full on. But we managed to raise that money um, collectively, um, and then the trials kicked off, and so they don't need quite as much of my time. But I'm still their ambassador, so I, I kind of get rolled out every now and then, and um, yeah, and I really I really enjoy it. It's good fun, and doing things like being a bit more vocal in the press and stuff usually gets a few more people contacting me, and that's fine. Um, so yeah, it sort of comes and goes. Um, I thought if it was okay with you, what we might do is it's part of your TED talk so it's out there in public is I, I i don't think this has been a big heavy conversation i think it's been great fun and I'm, I'm really i'm really happy we've talked about it but i did want to wrap up on something to do with one of the lighter parts of your <laughs> of your treatment yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I will i will play this again in the background and in, in silence but when i saw this I, I i guess what i want to do david is i think this is fucking genius <laughs> right and and yeah. so i want whether people never watch your TED talk or the documentary, how dare they? Um, or see another thing. I think that this little part of your story, for me at least, was so powerful. And I was wondering if you could maybe nutshell what we're looking at. Yeah, and cool. I'll, I'll play. I'll play a little bit of the video in the background in silence while you're talking over it, and then I'll then I'll switch it out and just tell us what you're doing here and why you look like a bunch of lunatics. <laughs> yeah, I guess the key point here is. I was going to a hospital is a very alien environment for people and if you're not used to it it's quite disempowering and it makes you feel like a victim of the situation and so what we would do um as a family is is say right let's pretend we're going on holiday <clears throat> instead of going into hospital for a week at a time because it was a week every third week for, for months and months and months um let's go on holiday and so let's okay where are we going to go this month so you know this time was obviously fiji Paris you know so we, we went and got props and costumes and posters on the walls and you know my sister came in and gave an art class that week for example and we, you know it was all <laughs> it was kind of fun and the doctors and the nurses got really into it like when they were doing their rounds I made them dress up you can see a lot of those people in there are doctors and nurses um my visitors really enjoyed it like we, I made a rule that anyone could come and visit but they had to come in some sort of costume and we'd published what the theme of the week was and the costume of the week and people would come along and um, and you'll see actually some of those comedians later on, actually, if you keep playing, um, who would come in and, you know, just be, just kind of join into it. I oh, know it's kind of despair. That's just me talking. Um, but, but the idea is you're trying to, as I say, you're trying to change the perspective. So instead of being a victim of the environment, you are now someone who's actually in control of it. And it's a very simple thing. Like all we did was put posters up and, you know, bring some $2 shop costumes and that sort of stuff. You can see that there's, there's. Corby and, and John Bridges. Corby there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, um, and, but, but it's an enormously powerful thing because it suddenly, it, a, and it sends people a message that you are yourself. You're not some, you know, new person that's on the scene. You're still your, yourself. So, I, yeah, we really enjoyed it. And it also kind of changed, it made us more, um, anticipating. And what I found out later is it, some of those practices that were built up then were very good from a mental health point of view in terms of building up resilience and building up some of the, you know, the practices, the mindfulness, the kind of appreciation, the kind of making fun of the situation in a way that really kind of creates, you know, more of a sense of empowerment. They were actually good practices to have from a mental health point of view. Um, yeah, and there you go. That's the conclusion is that in sometimes in life, you don't get to choose 
the room that you're in. You know, you can't change your circumstances. What you change is your response and your attitude. And it's a hugely powerful thing. I keep coming back to it with lots of people. Don't see yourself as the victim of the situation. Put yourself in that driver's seat of being in control of your response and your attitude. And, and it just changes everything. Yeah. I think that's, and it's, a, it's an amazing lesson uh, for whatever stage of life you're in. You know, for the for the past few weeks, I've been talking to people and not to get into the po politics of it, but around this, you know, vaccine and people having to be vaccinated for certain jobs. But yeah. coming back to sometimes we all have to make difficult choices. Yeah. Um, but 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 as Michelle Pfeiffer once so beautifully said, there are no victims in this classroom. You know, yeah. we can we can always make a choice at some level. And the example I give to people is I know lots of people who had young families who had to leave Auckland away from their family and their support networks because they wanted to own a house. Yep. So they, they, they could have said, I'm forced to leave Auckland to get a house. But the truth is they made a very difficult choice to leave Auckland to get, to get a house for their, yeah. uh, for their family. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I love that. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you find it useful. And, you know, to me, it's a big lesson I talk to other pa patients a lot about about some of those things and how you how you put yourself back into that responsibility. How do you put yourself in control? And if if nothing else, you can you, you have to flip that little switch in your head that says, actually, I might be sitting here in bed and I might be wired up to a machine, but I could make someone laugh. I could make someone else's day better. I could think about positive things, not not the potential downsides. You know, so there's a whole lot of things you can do. Including watching that great movie. Look at that. Yeah, here we go. What a perfect wrap up. New Zealand International Film Festival, A Mild Touch of Cancer. Unfortunately and sadly, the Auckland uh, screenings have been shut down. Now, I, I should have found this out, and it's not your job to know this. So I apologize right. if this is if you don't know this. I'll find out and put something on the Facebook page. But I think last year they had a bunch of online versions to watch movies. Do you know if they're doing that this year? I have no idea. Um, no. Good thing to it's a good thing for us both to know, but we don't, I don't. Yeah. I'll, um, I'll, I'll contact them and people can have a look on the Facebook page, DOCNZ on Facebook, and we'll put some links if there's some, um, if there are some online. Because they did that last year for, you know, for um, whatever it's called. Look, there's the Dunedin Regent, 20th of November. Um, they did they did a bunch of online movies. You could watch them online as well. They set up a system. So I'm, I'm hoping they can do that again. So people in Auckland, you can maybe get to watch it online. Um, do you know, is it, obviously it'll do the, the um, festival rounds around the world as well. Do you yeah. know, is it coming after the festival? Is it coming back to uh, the big screens for people to see? Do you know what the next plan is? I don't know that for sure. I guess it depends on how popular they think it might be. I mean, on one hand, you'd think, okay, a, a documentary about a boring guy wandering around the world talking about cancer does not sound all that compelling. Um, but it sort of depends. It's maybe, maybe it will be. I mean, I know that we had planned to do some um, fundraising um showings of it both in Auckland and Wellington for the Maligan Institute and for leukemia and blood cancer, both of which have had to be cancelled because of the lockdowns. Mm -hmm. So that's said, So we'll at least, I think, um, redo another showing sometime next year because of that. So I'm hoping that that will, um, that will allow a few more people to see it as well. Well, the exciting thing at this day and age, and, and, and the guys we're talking to later this week about there's no iron threesome, um, they sold theirs to HBO Max, you know, what? so that was actually been, that's actually been on HBO Max since February of this year. Um, so I, I remember working with someone way back in the early 1990s, um, a million years ago, and them saying, if you want to make content, which is not a word we used then like we use today, 
Yeah. But if you want the most eyes to see it, put it on TV. That's where the most eyes will see it. And in this day and age, we've got things like you know Netflix and HBO Max and Disney yeah, Plus yeah. and that kind of stuff. So many more eyes can see stuff around the world. I mean, maybe that's a great outlet. I'm for sure. I mean, see, I'm the subject, not the filmmaker, but any who's the filmmaker, I'm sure, will be trying to get it onto a few of the streaming platforms. It's it's playing on some film festivals in the US at the moment too. So there's probably some sort of thing where you go through the festivals first and then you do the streaming. I don't know, but. Um, yeah, but I hope that if people do get to watch it, because on one, as I say, on one hand, it's a boring story about me wandering around the world, but on the other hand, hopefully, it's a message about, you know, science and breakthroughs and optimism, and positivity, and hope you take that out of it, because that's kind of why I did it. I didn't do it to sort of make myself look good. In fact, I don't. I look old. But um, but it's definitely in there for, to help other people and kind of go, oh, actually, there is hope. Like even when you don't think there is, there's there's stuff happening. There's great science happening, and this will hopefully give you that reminder. Well, it's not that you're not a boring man. You're an ex-comedian. Come on. That's a, that's a, <laughs> so listen, if people head to nziff.co.nz, and it sounds a bit depressing, but if you just put the word cancer in the search, you'll find it. Um, you're definitely in Christchurch. You're definitely in Dunedin. Uh, there is a Wellington as well. So Wellington, yeah. Christchurch, Dunedin in November. Uh, check it out. Are you going to be attending all the things as well? Are we going to see you in Dunedin for a beer? I would love to if I can get there. It's in my diary, but you know, it depends on where I'm allowed out. <laughs> I'm in yeah. Auckland at the moment. You're, so. you're a leper yeah. in Auckland. Yeah, no, I would definitely love to. There's two characters in the movie, and that sound makes them sound false. There are two um, people in the movie who are very important who are in Dunedin, and I'd love to be down there and sort of share the experience with them. But hopefully, I can get there. I had the Dunedin publicist contact me yesterday about something else. I wonder if nothing else, if we, and I'm happy to be involved in setting it up, I've got all the gears at the very least, can organise you on the big screen via a live yeah. connection at the end of the thing. I might actually mention that to her. Go for it. I'd, I'd be in if you're in. I'll either, either be there in person or you, we can do that. That sounds like fun. Cool. I'd like to go down because then I could get a behemoth beer from you. Oh, yes, indeed. So I've got the sponsor in. Look at that. I'm good. I can, I'll, get no, them to, I'll get them to send me some con uh, some product and we'll make sure we get some to you. Cool, so, um, <laughs> cool. Hey, dude, look, thank you. It's been it's been such a fun time talking to you. I'm, I really genuinely appreciate you coming on. I think that, um, and I know that you're probably a Kiwi and you don't like the tall poppy syndrome and you're underplaying stuff, but it's an important documentary, especially in this current climate with other health questions going on and what what is out there now, what you've been through, I think will resonate with a lot of people for a lot of reasons, not just about your cancer story. So yeah. thanks for being involved. Thanks for doing it. Thanks for writing what you've done. And um it's been a pleasure, and I and I hope to see you in Dunedin. And if I do, we'll certainly come along to the to the screening. And, awesome. and if you don't, I'll talk to the people down here and see if we can figure out how to get you on the big screen for a chat afterwards or something. Wonderful. Thanks very much. Bye. -bye.